Salutations, listeners. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz, and we hope to cure whatever it is that ails you in this episode through whatever means necessary. We're in part four of our special series on John Zorn, and this part is hardcore. So what you just heard was John Zorn's painkiller group, which is, of course, John Zorn on the saxophone and vocals, and Bill Laswell, the Bill Laswell on bass, and Mick Harris on drums and vocals. And yes, that's the same Mick Harris from the band Napalm Death. So, here is the same composer that we've looked at through The Art of Exotica. How this composer was inspired by various authors from literature. How this composer was inspired by dealings with the occult and its various tentacles, if you will. But this same guy can write also some badass shit for hardcore as well. And he can hang. That's the other important part. He can hang with Mick Harris and Bill Laswell. Now, I'm going to read you what he wrote here in the liner notes to Painkiller's Guts of a Virgin and Buried Secrets. He said, Painkiller is one of those magical bands where nothing can go wrong. Live or in the studio, it's always a pleasure, and no matter how much time passes between meetings, the understanding is always there, and so the music evolves. These first two recordings came about fast and loose, each recorded in one night. The first during the Gulf War, hence titles like Scud Attack, which is what you heard at the opening of the podcast. The second, during a rare Godflesh tour when Mick, Justin, and G.C. Green all happened to be in New York at the same time. Painkiller's music is created in the studio with no prior preparation, a combination of improvisation and compositional intuition. Bill and I, I meaning John Zorn, each bring newly acquired books that give birth to track titles and cover images. These help tie the pieces into a unified concept. The whole process is organic and intense. It works. And, but Painkiller is more than just a trio of musical masters. Two essential members of the Painkiller team from from the very beginning have been Oz Fritz, their engineer for both live and studio situations, and Tomoyo Tanaka Lee, the brilliant designer of our cover art. Believe it or not, she draws... Those delirious Islamic style borders on all the painkiller album covers, as well as the tiny detailed round corner seals by hand. And although she was not involved in the repackaging of this reissue, which I'm holding in my hands right now, her presence is clearly felt. John ends by saying that Painkiller is a special band with special working methods making a special music. What's next is unknown, but this is where it all began. 
and that was from John Zorn in New York in January 1998, almost 20 years ago. And that was for the reissue. So, and Guts of a Virgin was originally recorded and mixed in April 1991, and Buried Secrets was recorded and mixed in August and October of 1991. So, what we're going to do in this episode, taking a look at Hardcore and John Zorn through Hardcore, is take a look at some of his various bands, how they sound, and the difference between them. We've got Painkiller up first, which we talked about with Zorn with Bill Laswell and Mick Harris. Then we've got Naked City. We've got the Nani Nani group, uh, a couple of interesting uh, little groups, and then we've got some Simulacrum, some of his more recent stuff, as well as the Moonchild group. So, on to the next piece. Maybe not as hardcore as what you think, but to me, I love this track. It's called Dr. Dr. Phoebes, and it just really shows the versatility of Painkiller. Dr. Phoebes, Painkiller. Enjoy.
John Zorn's Painkiller with Dr. Phoebes. I mean, to me, that's just groovy. I mean, you can have a band that could just be that in your face and just melt your face off with something like Scud Attack, which we heard at the opening, and then turn right around and be just that groovy with something like Dr. Phoebes. And it's all improvisatory. So that's cool, too. Anyway, looking at a different title, still from the Guts of a Virgin Buried Secrets package uh, from Painkiller, this title is very disturbing, but it's, it's just another avenue in uh, Zorn's hardcore world. I mean, um, he not only uses... You know, very graphic pictures of, um, you know, dead, you know, cadavers, guts being, you know, ripped out. But there's also very graphic titles. And so that's where we come into this next title. This next track is Purgatory of Fiery Vulvas. I know what you want to say. Holy shit, man. (laughs) Yup. And sometimes they're just that short. But that's all you need. So, and we've got one more from Painkiller, which is from one of their live performances, live in Japan from the Rituals album. This is Demonic Possession. And no, I did not get those last two tracks mixed up, believe it or not. Here is Demonic Possession possession.
All right, that was Demonic Possession by Painkiller from their Rituals Live in Japan album. So that way, you get to hear some studio versions of some Painkiller and some live versions of Painkiller. Up next, John's hardcore masterpiece band, Naked City. Here's Batman. That's Naked City with Batman from their self-titled album, Naked City, released in, are you ready for this, 1989. That music was being recorded and played in 1989. That's crazy. But almost 30 years ago, Stuff that hip was being written and recorded by John Zorn. And in the Naked City Band, John Zorn on alto sax and composer, of course. The great Bill Frizzell is on guitar. Wayne Horvitz is on the keyboard. Fred Frith is on the bass. And the great Joey Barron is on drums. So... Just fascinating music. Uh, Pulling from a lot of different styles, you know. And Zorn would write these little blocks of noise or these little blocks of sound. And all throughout, you know, these album covers, you know, you have great art and you have these crazy titles like Torture Garden and Lang Shea. And 
radio and they had these just disturbing images of like S&M and bondage and there's even inside one of the albums uh, a picture called Manga by Suhiro Maruo and it's of like this military officer and what looks to be like this little girl and he's just ripping the flesh of her face off and he's licking her eyeball with her skull being exposed so very graphic shit and some of this music reflects that some of this music doesn't but I can distinctly remember the very first time I heard that song from the Naked City album I just bought the album I had no idea what was on it I just knew it was John Zorn and the only thing I'd heard before was a Masada CD that my friend had let me borrow and I was like man I gotta get me some more of this guy and then I picked up Naked City and I went what the hell was that? So, but it piqued my interest and it really started my fascination with trying to figure out just where is this guy coming from? So, there's more stories abound, but let's get to some more music. Here's another demonic inspiration. Uh, this is Naked City with Demon Sanctuary. Yeah, Yamatsuka I on the vocals and the Naked City band and just killer stuff, tight, tight, tight band. And this isn't easy stuff, and I speak from experience, and I'll talk about that in a later podcast. But Demon Sanctuary, short to the point, it's like these hardcore miniatures you know, and if you ever look at some of these tracks, and you can see some of them, they're online, they're posted. It, it almost looks like these blocks of sound, like the way Stravinsky would write. So, I mean, just killer, killer, killer stuff. Um, yeah, let's listen to another. We've got a bunch of these. Uh, this one's called Blunt Instrument. Yeah, 
blunt instrument. And you can almost hear just in that pounding rhythm, that boom, 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 boom. It almost sounds like somebody attacking somebody with a blunt instrument. So, to me, that track's almost onomatopoeic. You know, like bang, zow, zoom, pow. You know, like what you used to see in those old Batman 60s things with Adam West. Uh, This is another side of still hardcore, but this is another side of it. Like literally beating you over the head with it, (laughs) you know, for better loss of a term. Um, So, yeah. And it, it doesn't stop there because, you know, Zorn not only was tapping into this hardcore um, but I mean, there was elements of torture. There's elements of S and M. There's elements of sex. There's elements of violence. There's elements of anger. And I think that you know Zorn truly felt some anger towards some of these some of these people who were looking down on him for trying to make something different, something that was honest, but something that was different. And so, these next three tracks um, from the Torture Garden album, I think, uh, summarize that. So, here is Jazz Snob Eat Shit. great syncopation in that but you can imagine this if you're a dj at a jazz radio station or something in 1989 how are you going to sit there and play some of this new fascinating music without saying and this next track from john zorn's naked city jazz snob eat shit i mean it just ain't gonna happen so i think he's kind of thumbing his nose you know at everybody who's like you know fuck you so and even worse, the critics. You know, here's the thing. Artists need love. Artists need, you know, to be told, hey, you're doing a great job. You're doing something different. They need, you know, that kind of compassion and love. They don't need to be criticized. And I think that even in 1989, that this is exactly what Zorn was thinking. So here's... Perfume of a critic's burning flesh. Some very dubious hardcore inspirations there. Whew. 
Great stuff, though. I mean, you and yes, that is the same Bill Frizzell on guitar. He didn't find another guy out there named Bill Frizzell who plays guitar. That is the exact same jazz legend, Bill Frizzell. And that just shows what diversity he has as well. Up next, Thrash Jazz Assassin from Torture Garden. Yeah, killer shit. Thrash Jazz Assassin from Naked City's Torture Garden album. Now, we move away from Torture Garden and this very, very short, miniature kind of writing that Zorm was doing for Naked City, and we get into the radio album. And there's some really interesting things that start to evolve with this band by the time they reach the radio album. This next tune is called Trigger Fingers, and one, it's a little bit longer. See if you can hear some of the differences.
totally different, right? Yeah. But still the same band, still Naked City. It just evolved and morphed into something else. And on the same album, you get a track that Zorn actually decided to re-cover with the Electric Masada group. But it was originally written for the Naked City Band. Here is Metal Tov. So, as you can tell, still a bit longer in length. It's not 30 seconds, it's not one minute. But we also start to hear that that Jewish scale start to creep in to Zorn's writing at this time, even back then in like 1990. So, this kind of predates um, Kristallnacht, and it kind of predates any... Masada Quartet or any kind of Masada Songbook 1 but it's there which I think is really interesting Uh, but we'll get into some of that in a different edition of the podcast what we're focusing on on this episode is we're continuing on our special series of John Zorn and his hardcore elements so This next track is our last Naked City track. It's one of my absolute favorites. It's just groovy, funky. It's so different, and it's still very jump cut in that Zorn style. Here is The Vault.
God, I just love that track. The Vault from the radio album of Naked City. Now, I'm going to go back to John Brackett's book on Zorn, in which he talks about um, some of the Naked City and Painkiller groups, and he says, Another image of Zorn is darker, and for some dangerous. This view derives in part from the graphic and disturbing visual images that we've already talked about that are included on many of his recordings from the late 80s to the mid 90s. Most of these images appeared on recordings of his Naked City and Painkiller projects and reflect Zorn's interest in hardcore rock music such as bands like Napalm Death, Carcass, Godflesh, Brutal Truth, and many others. Aspects of Japanese underground movements and his par- participation in various sadomasochistic SM scenes and practices. Especially with the Naked City Project, the violent juxtaposition of musical blocks, which we've talked about, an emphasis at times on noise, and an attention to volume and heaviness, end quote, are accompanied by violent imagery on the album, sleeves, and liner notes. Which, that's true. I forgot to give credit for the very first Naked City album, the one that we talked about from 1989 with Batman. The cover of that is uh, a photograph from the uh, photographer Ouija. W-E-E-G-E-E. Ouija. And it's called um, Dead Body with a Revolver, I believe. Let me double check for you. Yeah, it's called, um, let's see, Corpse with Revolver by Ouija. And that was circa 1940. So you're hearing this music that's from 1989, 49 years, almost 50 years later. But the cover is a 1940 photograph, which is really, really cool to me. But Brackett goes on to say that some of these images, um, such as the manga that I talked about earlier, and some of the um, the sadomasochistic images that he uses, are actually from Japanese pornographic films and archival photos. You know. Uh, one, the Langshe picture, is actually the torture and execution of a Chinese criminal. And you can actually see his ribcage from when they've cut it. Um, the recordings can be understood as a loose audio equivalent of these images. So, there you go. But, what's more fascinating than just the disturbingness of these images in this music that accompanies them is that's only one side or one sliver of the kaleidoscope of composition from this composer. I mean, it would be one thing if that's all he did was hardcore music. And it would be one thing if that's all Zorn did was Masada music. And it would be something else if any one of these if that's all he did was just that one niche. But the truth is, is that he's all these things. And if you watch the um, 
the documentary that Claudia Herman um, actually did on Zorn, A Bookshelf on Top of the Sky, he kind of asked that question too. He said, well, you know, am I a noisy, obnoxious son of a bitch? He goes, or am I a quiet, meditative soul? He goes, well, the truth is, I'm all of those things, and I'm none of those things. So, he's kind of like the Cheshire Cat in that aspect. You never really know who he is, but based on the output that we can analyze and talk about, it's fascinating that there are so many different and diverse sides to this musician and composer. Up next, we've got a track from one of John Zorn's game pieces, Xu Fang. And here is one of the, the most hardcore pieces I've ever heard from his game piece. And this is called The Assassins. Just total craziness and a little groove in there on top of that. It's just, uh, I just had to include it because that's one of my favorite, you know, pieces from his um, favorite selections, if you will, from one of his game pieces. And it's not even not from a Cobra piece. That's actually from Shu Fang. 
Uh, and if you want to check out all the titles and all the, the album covers, please check out the website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And please support these artists. John Zorn is still alive. He's still kicking. He's still making fantastic music. Check out his website for his record company, Zodic Records. That's T-Z-A-D-I-K. Dot com and or if you you could always go to downtown music gallery and they dtm you know um, gallery.com and they've got all of zorn stuff they're in new york and uh, if you're just too lazy to look that up go on amazon and type in naked city painkiller john zorn and just give yourself an evening to just kind of go through all these cuz it's that wide of an array up next we've got something from the hemophiliac project that's john zorn on saxophone mike Patton on vocals and the incomparable ikwe more on laptop here is a little hip-hop from hemophiliac it's called the stitch here we go here we go So just to kind of break up the monotony a little bit, that was John Zorn as his own hype man for the hemophiliac group. That's Zorn on the saxophone, Mike Patton on the vocals, uh, Iquemori on the laptops and electronics, and of course Zorn as hype man. So there you go. Up next, the Nani Nani group. Now maybe you haven't heard of this, but this is a duo between Zorn and Yamantika Ai, Japanese artist. They had a group called Nani Nani, and the two of them just basically put out these two albums, Nani Nani One and Nani Nani Two. And this first one is from Nani Nani One, and it's called Sticky Beethoven's Pipeline. Thank you. 
pure insanity. You've got to love it. Totally hardcore. Here is part two. Here is Zorn and Yamantika I from 1992 with Fuck Zotica. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, yeah. Fuck Zotica off Nani Nani 2, John Zorn, Yamantica I, Pure Insanity. So, up next, we're going to talk about John Zorn's hardcore group, Simulacrum. And this group consists of various members, but the core center of Simulacrum is John Medeski on the organ from Medeski, Martin, and Wood. Matt Hollenberg on guitar, which you may know from Cleric. And Kenny Grahowski on drums. So, I believe that he kind of wants to compare this kind of like Tony Williams' Lifetime, but on steroids. So, um, yeah, but it's so much more than just an homage to Tony Williams' Lifetime. This is truly hardcore shit. So, here is Marmorath from Simulacrum.
Tears, Dance of Death from Simulacrum's Inferno album.
right, that was The Dance with Death by Simulacrum off of their album Inferno. And the description for Inferno says that this is the third CD from Zorn's most dangerous new instrumental ensemble, inspired by the work and thought of Swedish playwright, poet, painter, philosopher, novelist, alchemist, and occultist August Strindberg, whose dark brooding visions were a precursor to Expressionism, Surrealism, and more. Featuring the long-form composition Inferno, named after one of Strindberg's most startling texts, the music touches upon metal, jazz, minimalism, atonality, ambient, and more. White, hot, burning intensity for the mind of downtown New York's eternally youthful Hellraiser, performed by a virtuoso trio formed from the worlds of jazz and metal. Okay, so let's look into this a little bit. August Strindberg. Where does Inferno come from? Well, it says that alchemy, occultism, and Swedenborgianism and other various eccentric interests were pursued by August Strindberg with some intensity for periods in his life. In the, his curious autobiographical work, Inferno, a paranoid and confusing tale of his years in Paris, written in French, Strindberg claims to have successfully performed alchemical experiments and cast black magic spells on his daughter. So that's where Inferno comes from. Now, <clears throat> it also goes on to say about Strindberg that he felt as though the, these kind of powers were overtaking um, him and causing him much harm. So saying that they were from like almost a different time a different life and these quote unquote powers were central to Strindberg's later works yeah here, here we go it says that they were an outside force that had caused him his physical and mental suffering because they were acting in retribution to humankind for their wrongdoings just as William Blake Ralph Waldo Emerson, Honoré de Balzac, and William Butler Yeats had been. He was drawn to Swedenborg's mystical visions where their depictions of spiritual landscape and Christian morality. August Strindberg believed for the rest of his life that the relationship between the transcendental and the real world was described as by a series of quote-unquote correspondences and that everyday events were really messages from above of which only the enlightened could make sense. He also felt that he was chosen by providence to atone for the moral decay of others and that his tribulations were payback for misdeeds earlier in his life. So... 
heavy, heavy stuff, not only musically, but very heavy stuff, inspirationally speaking. But this is how far Zorn has come. It's not just musical. It's also very the the history behind and the uh, intentionality and the inspirations behind some of this newer heavy hardcore music is very deep. It's very rich. It's very heavy. When you're dealing with a subject topic such as August Strindberg. So, let's move on. (laughs) So, the next piece we're going to listen to is Scene 4, also known as Dark Pageant. And this comes from Zorn's album with Simulacrum, the 49 Acts of Unspeakable Depravity, and the abominable life and times of Gilles de Ray.
that was just like a wall of sound. Uh, so, if the first piece by Simulacrum didn't wasn't heavy enough for you, and then the last piece based on August Strindberg wasn't heavy enough in content and in sound for you, maybe this will do it. This, like I said, this is scene for the dark pageant from the Simulacrum album of John Zorn's The 49 Acts of Unspeakable Depravity in the Abominable Life and Times of Gilles de Ray. And this is Simulacrum's fifth album. Um, the review of this album says that it's an organ trio of John Medeski and... Let's see. Kenny Grahowski and Matt Hollenbeck that is unparalleled power that brings the sounds of heavy metal, blues, funk, and jazz together with modern classical music. Tighter than ever and able to stop and start at breakneck speed, Medeski, Hollenberg, and Grahowski are at their raging best as they blaze through Zorn's wildest flights of fancy. A ten-movement suite, evoking a sick and decadent descent into madness. So, what kind of madness and what kind of sick thing are they talking about? Well, here's a little backstory on Gilles de Ray. Gilles de Ray, also known as the Baron... Uh, Baron de Retz was a knight and lord from Brittany, Anjou, and Puiteau, a leader in the French army and a companion in arms of Joan of Arc. He is best known for his reputation and later conviction as a confessed serial killer of children. A member of the House of Montmorency Laval, Gilles de Ray grew up under the tutelage of his maternal grandfather and increased his fortune by marriage. He earned the favor of the Duke of Brittany and was admitted to the French court. From 1427 to 1435, Gilles served as a commander in the Royal Army and fought alongside Joan of Arc against the English and their Burgundian allies during the Hundred Years' War, for which he was appointed the Marshal of France. In 1434 and 1435, he retired from military life. He depleted his wealth by staging an extravagant theatrical spectacle of his own composition and was accused of dabbling in the occult. After that... Gilles was accused of gauging, engaging in a series of child murders, with the victims possibly numbering in the hundreds. The killings came to an end in 1440, when a violent dispute with a clergyman led to an ecclesiastical investigation which brought the crimes to light and attributed them to Gilles de Ray. At his trial, the parents of the missing children in the surrounding area and his own confederates in crime testified against him. He was condemned to death and he was hung at Nantes, 
on October 26th, 1440. Gilles de Rey is also believed to be the inspiration for the fairy tale Bluebeard by Charles Perrault in 1697. Now, this kind of ties into the previous podcast episode dealing with the occult. But, in 1438, according to testimony at his trial from the priest Eustache Blanchet and the cleric Francois Perlati, Gilles de Rey sent out, a, sent out Blanchet to seek individuals who knew alchemy and demon summoning. Blanchet contacted Prelati in Florence and convinced him to take service with his master. Having reviewed the magical books of Prelati and a traveling Breton, Gilles de Rey chose to initiate experiments, the first taking place in the lower hall of his castle at Tufauget, attempting to summon a demon named Baron. Gilles de Rey provided a contract with the demon for riches that Prelati was to give to the demon at a later time. As no demon manifested itself after three tries, Gilles de Rey grew very frustrated with a lack of results. Prelati responded that the demon Baron was angry and required the offering of parts of a child instead. Gilles de Rey provided these remnants in a glass vessel at a future evocation of the demon. All of this was to no avail, and the occult experiment left him bitter with his wealth severely depleted. Now, regarding the child killings, in his confession, Gilles de Rey mentioned the first assaults on children occur between 1432 and the spring of 1433. The first murders occurred at Champtecé-sur-Loire. However, no account of these murders survived. Shortly after, Gilles de moved to Machisol, sorry, my French is bad, where, as the record of his confession states, he killed or ordered to be killed a great but uncertain number of children after he sodomized them and 40 naked bodies of children were discovered in Machasso in 1437. The first documented case of child snatching and murder concerns a boy of 12 called Judon, an apprentice to the Fourier Guillaume Hilariette. Gilles de Rey's cousins, Gilles de Sille, Sille, and Roger de Brickville, asked the furrier to lend them the boy to take a message to Machassol, and when Judon did not return, the two noblemen told the inquiring furrier that they were ignorant of the boy's whereabouts and suggested that uh, he'd been carried off by thieves at Tufauget to be made into a page. It's like a page boy. But in Gilderay's trial, the events were testified to by Hilariette and his wife, the boy's father, Jean Judon, Jean Judon and five others from Machassol. 
in the 1971 biography of Gilles de Ray, the author Jean Benedetti writes, and he tells how the children who fell into Gilles de Ray's hands were put to death. He says that the boy was pampered and dressed in better clothes than he had ever known. The evening began with a large meal and heavy drinking, particularly Hippocrates, which acted as a stimulant. The boy was then taken to an upper room, to which only Gilles de Ray and his immediate circle were, were admitted. There he was confronted with the true nature of his situation. The shock thus produced on the boy was an initial source of pleasure for Gilles de Ray. And it goes on to say a lot more. <clears throat> but this is truly an abominable act. And I would definitely say that it's part of the unspeakable, unspeakable depravity that Zorn's talking about. And this is probably the inspiration for the dark pageant. So, as if Auguste Strindberg wasn't heavy enough, Gilles de Ray, for sure. So, up next, changing directions. Here's another hardcore group, newly cemented by Zorn, called Moonchild.
right, that was the title track from Moonchild off the album Moonchild. This is a trio that consists of Mike Patton on the vocals, Joey Barron on the drums, and Trevor Dunn on the bass. The description says that this is Zorn's newest project of hardcore song cycles for voice, bass, and drums. This powerful rock unit features three of his most illustrious longtime cohorts who have worked together in bands such as Naked City, who we heard from earlier, The Phantomas, Mr. Bungle, both which feature Mike Patton, and Electric Masada, and are keenly in tune with Zorn's language and aesthetic. Musicians are always at their best in Zorn projects, and Moonchild is no exception. You have never heard these players as upfront, on the edge, or as inspired as they are here raging through 11 pieces of terrifying intensity. Drawing on pre-verbal language and the primal power of rock music, this is Torture Garden with an alchemical twist, spontaneous, complex, and evocative. 11 new John Zorn compositions executed with a ritualistic passion that will take your breath away. And that was the title track, Moonchild. Let's listen to Equinox.
intense as hell. That's Moonchild. Mike Patton on vocals. Trevor Dunn on the bass. Joey Barron on the drums. Well, now we're going to take a listen to Moonchild and a different album called The Crucible. And The Crucible is the fourth album by Moonchild um, right after coming off the heels of the six litanies for Heliogabalus who was this crazy Roman emperor and if you you know are interested in excesses and debauchery then that's that's where you need to go check out is that album I think he killed an entire group of dinner guests by smothering them in flowers that fell from the uh, like a net or something it's intense stuff but this the crucible says that this is the legendary moonchild group returning for another intense journey into the world of magic alchemy and witchcraft following one of zorn's masterpieces the six litanies for heliogobalus This fourth album by Moonchild streamlines and simplifies the music with new melodic elements, bringing John Zorn's saxophone and the lyricism of Masada into the power and structural complexity of the patented Moonchild sound. With Mike Patton using his prodigious voice to sing melodies in addition to his preverbal screams in house, The Crucible is another bold step from mad alchemist John Zorn, including special guest guitarist Mark Rebo on one Led Zeppelin influence track. And this is the track we're actually going to hear. This is called Nine by Nine. <laughs> Thank you. 
hell yeah, man. That is some great shit. That is 9 by 9 with Moonchild featuring Mark Rebo on a Led Zeppelin-inspired composition called 9 by 9 That is no doubt inspired by Black Dog. That just, it almost has almost the same riff. You can't help but just pinpoint directly to that. And the great thing about Led Zeppelin, just to tie it into it, you know, there are all those rumors that they have their own dealings in the occult. But that's going to have to be for another different podcast because we're going to just focus on this. And we have one more. We have one left for you. This is the group Abraxas featuring Ezra, uh, Shanir Ezra Blumenkrantz. And this is from Zorn's album Psychomagia. And the description of that album says that Psychomagia is the new album by the fabulous quartet of Abraxas. And they perform a complex suite of music written expressly for them by downtown alchemist John Zorn, drawing inspiration from the magical writings of Giordano Bruno and Alejandro Jodorowsky and others. Zorn has written a bold collection of compositions that challenge the musicians to the breaking point. If you don't know who Giordano Bruno is or Alejandro Jodorowsky, go back to episode one of the John Zorn series here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast because we talk about them in that episode. But with a program ranging from some of the most intense ritualistic sounds you are likely to hear, tender minimalistic odes. This is a surprising new volume in Zorn's Mystic series that matches the intensity and power of Moonchild, Painkiller, and Naked City, all three bands that we've discussed in this edition of the podcast. This is recorded at Orange Music and it's mixed by none other than Bill Laswell to book in this thing. We started with Bill Laswell and Painkiller with Mick Harris and John Zorn. And now this is being compared to Moonchild, Naked City, and Painkiller, and it's mixed by Bill Laswell. This last track is called Evocation of the Triumphant Beast. Enjoy.
that about wraps it up here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast for this episode on our special series on composer John Zorn. We've been taking a look at John Zorn's hardcore music in all of its different configurations from Painkiller to Naked City to some of his game pieces to Simulacrum the Moonchild group to Abraxas I thank you for listening check out the website and remember until next time ashes to ashes dust to dust y'all be good now and Zorn 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 Zor